If uh, you don't have the outline today, then you uh, might get a little lost. So if you'd like to have that, ushers out there, Matthew, quit blowing bubbles with your gum. And uh, you guys have some extra outlines out there. Do you need one? Raise your hand and the guys will. Uh, uh, no, it's a new one. It's not the same as last week. I feel like Kyle Predmore just looks wiser and smarter and. I think it's that degree that was deferred, you know, conferred, not deferred, oops, conferred upon him. So I had Pauline and Ron Morrow go into storage and dig out uh, something really old, but uh, something that's really important. And I was, it's kind of cool, it was even in this very important uh, shadow box, uh, but I needed it today to make a point or use as an illustration. But it's interesting. This when uh, recognize this. You should, because if you're a member here, your name's in here. Uh, so, not to make anyone feel bad, but uh, you need to join the church if you want to be in the book. Okay, so. Uh, it is a good book, but this is this book's been around a while because, uh, first of all, it cost four dollars. OK, so who, who knows when that was? Uh, this book was printed in 1912, it says uh, in Philadelphia, but because it's specifically a church roll call or a church. The new church register of the Presbyterian Church, so we must <laughs> We must have uh, bought this at a yard sale or something. Who knows? I don't know, because we're not Presbyterian. So uh, I'm trying to find where it starts. There's a. Let's see. Why is that when you joined? No, no, you didn't. That's not that long ago. I know better than that. The first the first entry is in the year 1919. January the 1st, uh, 1919. And it says, I can't even read the writing, maybe Albert E. Miller or Mueller. Can't tell. Does that ring a bell? What is it? Oh, you're right. It is Balser. I'm not going to ask how old you folks are that are shouting out that you know, <laughs> you know the names. So I'm not going to ask you how old you are. But 1919. Is the first entry uh, in this book. I'm looking for the, the last entry. I don't see. Well, we won't go through all that to find the last. But just very interesting. Uh, a lot of names. Uh, well, even before that, it says 1913, 1914. Uh, Clarence Parker, April 23rd, 1916, joined the church. Um, Oh, look, the same day, Dave Goodwin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So everyone's name here, but so I started searching. I don't know why I was hunting for Don Lancey. I just wanted to find his. I wanted to find your name here. I, I was sitting up here during the singing. Like, I got to find Don's name. I just think that because I'm going back in time picturing Don when he was. Uh, you probably became a member when you were a teen, 18, 19, 20 years old. Or, but. I didn't find it. I found 
And there's, they started numbering them, but entry 199 on April the 16th, 1967, a lady named Charlene Musilla. Uh, I thought that was pretty. She's baking in the heat of Utah until the end of the month. And then uh, on May, May 11th, 1969, there was a Rhonda Sue Lansing. Uh, that's your sister, right? Or sister-in-law. Oh, your brother's daughter. I just that was a Lansing I found. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And then, then I found uh, March eighth, nineteen eighty one. Uh, there was a Sandra Goodwin and a David Goodwin uh, that joined the church on March the eighth, nineteen eighty one. So I was also looking for Robin Predmore. I couldn't find uh, her name, but I found a uh, June ninth, nineteen ninety one, a Bonnie Gale Miller. Uh, that kind of rang a bell. Now we have middle names. That's another reason I love this book. Uh, I'm going to learn everyone's middle name. But very interesting. Roll call, church membership. Uh, those that through the years have been officially joined. So if you're a member, your name is in here. Uh, but we know that the scriptures talk about what a different type of book, right? Uh, a book of life. Uh, but also there's other books uh, the book of the Revelation mentions that you don't want to have your name in. Uh, but we definitely want our name in the book of life, right? For those that are truly born again, who are true followers of Jesus, the scriptures tell us. You can turn to Revelation 3. I'm going to start this. Maybe we'll get done with this today. Maybe we won't. Uh, so don't look at all the notes and think, has he gone mad? Uh, I just felt like I wanted you to have as much as you could have so you could take it with you and use it as in a devotional way during the week. Uh, and I love a good quote. I mean, I'm a word man. Uh, uh, some people are more picture people. I, I, I do well with words and respond to words. So I like a good quote. I've got several books in my office of just quotes. <laughs> thinking, Boy, he's weird. OK, uh, sometimes I just like to open those and look for a subject and look at all the quotes. But so I also want to include those for you. Um, but we'll be in Revelation three verses one through six eventually. But. So this is where this message came from. Just to be honest with you, I have been struggling for a couple years with, uh, and I don't even know how to describe it. It's an anxiety, it's a worry, it's an angst, it's a concern just about what is happening in our country. Uh, and particularly what's gotten me just it actually keeps me awake sometimes at night and I confess that's not right. Uh, but particularly the growing animosity toward believers uh, and the hatred toward Christianity. Now, we have not, as the writer of Hebrews says there in chapter 12 at the beginning, you have not yet suffered to the point of shedding your blood. And we have not. Uh, but I, th I think you know, as I tell my kids, when they do or say something that I consider dumb, I'll say, hey, I might die tomorrow, but I wasn't born yesterday. OK, uh, you know, we weren't born yesterday. We can see the writing on the wall, right? All, all we have to do is look at the history of the world. Uh, and then we look at the scriptures. Uh, we love God. Uh, we love his blessings. We tend to either downplay or ignore or disregard the massive amount of scripture that talks about being a true follower of Jesus involves suffering. 
Uh, it involves persecution. It involves uh, not being a part of the world. Uh, I don't know if it's because we live in such a decadent, luxurious country that we have been lulled into thinking that the world loves us and that we're friends with the world. But we're, and it's almost like a door that's just cracked. Have you ever looked through just a cracked door? We're just getting a small glimpse, aren't we, of the animosity directed toward Christians, you know, and that door is just going to keep opening more and more. We have no idea the rate or the velocity that that's going to happen, but we know that that's going to happen, right? Is that, look at you guys, you're like, wow, this is a downer. Happy Father's Day. Uh, uh, (laughs) But we don't like to think about it. And I have to confess, I I was just getting worried. And then I wrestle with, uh, at what level should I, as a Christian, be involved in the things that are swirling around us? All these issues of gun control, uh, politics, you know, the whole Trump-Clinton-Sanders thing, uh, uh, what happened in Orlando, Florida, and Paris, and Belgium, you know, and the whole thing with terrorism. What, what's my responsibility? What's my place as a Christian? Uh, I have just really been wrestling with all of that and and uh you know the scriptures when it lists the spiritual gifts that christians have uh did you realize one of the spiritual gifts that some people have is the gift of discernment and what that means is some christians are able not prophetically but are able to discern the times uh and let he who boasts boast in the Lord. But I feel like that's something that God has given me. But so I get a little uneasy because I can see the cloud, the storm clouds forming yeah. over the church. Now, I don't know if I'll be here when the storm breaks out, uh, but I can see it. And it just unnerves me a little bit. But on top of that, I remember that I have a responsibility as a follower of Christ. And then I'm struggling with, well, what is my responsibility? At what level should I get involved? How much should I speak up? You know, because we get embroiled, right, with social media. Some of us dinosaurs remember a time when we don't even, that wasn't even a vocabulary, social media. What were you talking about? That was talking on the telephone that you had to dial and wait, you know, for the number to come back. But now everything's out there, right? And everyone speaks their piece on Facebook or, you know, or whatever. Than you're using. So I've just been wrestling with these things, but uh, I'm so thankful to the Lord that I feel like He's leading me out of that anxiety and into some more solid biblical thinking about it. Uh, and so we're going to look over the next few weeks, and then I think I'm going to preach through First Peter uh, after that, after Vacation Bible School, because First Peter, the theme of First Peter is how to live a holy life in a world of animosity. I thought, wow, that's where we're at, isn't it? Uh, We live in a world that hates God, that hates true believers. Now, it's not always manifested because there are constraining forces. But what I'm talking about is theologically, we know the scriptures say that Satan is the God of this age. He's the one who's ruling for a temporary time over the things of this world. And that the Lord even promised what in this world you will have. Good times. Uh, No, he never said that, did he? He said, in this world you will have trouble, but rejoice for I have overcome the world. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I read, in this world you will have trouble, and I stop. 
and I get discouraged and I get worried and I start feeling anxious. And the Lord has shown me, hey, mister, you need to finish out that verse. In this world, you have trouble, but rejoice because he has overcome the world. There's no need for fear. Uh, There's no need for anxiety. There's no need for worry. Uh, Because things from our human perspective may look like they're spinning out of control. But has God left his throne? I mean, did he get up and leave a sign on the door? Be back in one hour. I hate that. You drive somewhere to go somewhere and they're like, Lisa and I drove down Valley View to go to Coles there in Cyprus last night to get a graduation gift for our daughter-in-law who graduates from basic training in the Air Force on Thursday. So we pull in there and it's like a ghost town. And there's a big sign on the door at Coles in Cyprus Closed for closed for business last day, June 19th. And we're like, oh, well, that's tomorrow. Let's go in. Closed at seven o'clock. What was seven o five? So. We drove over there. Nobody was there, but God never leaves his throne. Right. No matter how crazy things may look. So I kind of started to get a little encouraged. But also because the reason I wanted to take you to Revelation three is because the opening of the book of the Revelation which, remember, is apocalyptic literature. And whenever you approach any book of the Bible, one of the first things we like to ask is, what kind of literature is this? The Gospels are narrative. They're stories. Uh, The epistles are letters. Uh, Leviticus is part of law. So, I mean, it has some bearing. When we say Revelation is apocalyptic, it means that it's going to talk about God's supernatural intervention into the affairs of earth. We see some apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament, right, with Daniel, uh, with Jeremiah, Zechariah, uh, but the book of the Revelation. And by the way, you cannot understand the book of the Revelation if you don't understand the book of Daniel. Uh, They go together uh, because a lot of the Revelation is reminiscent of Daniel. So he's writing to these seven churches. And as you study and you learn how to study the scriptures, we understand that he's writing to seven specific individual areas or churches. Notice all throughout the first three chapters, he's saying here what, you know, the Lord is saying to the churches, plural. But he's also talking to the church, capital C, right, for all times, meaning we are part of the church, right? So we should be able to read what he's writing to this church in Sardis. And glean something out of it for ourselves. Some people also believe that each church represents a different time period in church history. With Laodicea being our time period in which we live. But uh, I think there's some merit to that. But not going to press it. So as I've been struggling with all these issues, I also was thinking. What is the church's role in the world? In the culture? And this could go a lot of different places and areas, but I don't really want to do all that today or with this series. But, you know, sometimes we're told, well, the church is supposed to transform the culture. Uh, I disagree with that. Uh, Our calling, our mission has never been to transform the culture. Our calling has always been be a light, be a witness to the truth, to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the world's going to do what the world's going to do, and they're going to chase after the things they're going to chase after, and they're going to build their monuments and do their things. But that's really not for us. We're told what to be in the world, but not of the world. But I I fear 
part of the reason the church is on the defensive is because we have been too much of the world. The church and Christians are very interwoven with the world. And so now we're seeing the storm clouds of sifting and divine separation approaching. And some of us are a bit unnerved because maybe we're just too attached. We'll see James chapter four, verse four. Uh, not a real warm, fuzzy verse that you're going to see on Robert, one of Robert's T-shirts, maybe. Uh, friendship with the world is hostility toward God. That's a seller. Can you get that on a T-shirt? Yeah. So just struggling. I'm just showing you everything that I'm putting into the pot. OK. And we're just stirring it around. And you're thinking, wow, you don't feel very secure with that. Neither do I. So I'm just kind of I'm thinking out loud. I began to think about these four questions that came across. And you see these on your outline. These are four questions that all people ask. And I began to think that we as Christians are more equipped than anyone else on the planet to answer these four soul-searching questions that everybody asks. Because the answers to all four of these questions are in the Scriptures. Such as, what should I do? What is my duty? What is my duty? Why was I created? What am I supposed to be doing? Who should I be? Who should I be? In other words, how do I get the character or become the person Who knows what is right and does it? Where should I go? Where should I go? In other words, what goal should I have? And this is a big one. What thing should I devote my energy to? Isn't that an interesting question? Uh, You don't get any deeper into your soul than that. Where am I supposed to be devoting my time? What am I supposed to be contributing all my efforts to? Especially as a Christian. And I just started thinking about all this wrangling. I also thought, oh, got to put up with this till November, right? Oh, so. Uh, but how deeply should we be getting involved in all of this? And then how can I distinguish truth from error? How can I be a discerning person? So these are four questions we want to keep in mind as we go through this mini series. How many ever weeks it is? I don't know. Uh, but you know me. One week could turn into 20. Who knows? Okay. Hopefully not. Look at the quote I came across in a commentary by David Levy uh, on the book of the Revelation. He said, many churches begin with a man, reach out with a mission, become a movement, and eventually end up a monument. See, I told you lots of warm fuzzies today, right? That feels really good. Did you see the movie Monuments Men? How many saw that movie? I'm not really a movie person. I like movies that are portraying history or something real. I'm not a fiction type person, superhero kind of stuff. Uh, My boys get sick of it. Uh, No. So it was on TV, though. George Clooney, John Goodman. Who else is in that? Doesn't matter. But it's based on a true story. They went in Europe to rescue a lot of the artwork that the Nazis had stolen. Oh, that's a really good movie, by the way. Uh, So. But what are monuments? Monuments are usually uh, something that is built and left behind after someone's dead. (laughs) So, right. Are there any monuments in Norwalk? I don't know. I don't know. 
But we love to build monuments, don't we? Have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? Have you ever been up inside the Washington Monument? How many have been up inside the Washington Monument? That's really cool. It was amazing they had all the writing on the inside of the stones that you could see as the elevator was going up and down. So Lincoln Memorial, been there, Jefferson Memorial, yeah. Uh, the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, uh, the Nixon Library, and uh, Yorba Linda, yeah. But, uh, or any other, we like to build monuments, right? We like to leave something behind to tell the world, hey, I was here, uh, even though I'm dead now. <laughs> but this church in Sardis in Revelation 3 is one of the seven churches uh, that John was told to write to by Jesus himself. Uh, and it was a dead church. There were people there. They were meeting regularly. They, ha- they were having services, probably even doing ministry. He's not saying dead as in empty, like, hello. Yeah, got you, didn't I? Some of you sleepers. Because he says. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. So these people looked religious. They were doing the church thing. But they did not have true spiritual life. And I think that is something that the American church is struggling with. Because, as one of these other churches was told, I believe the American church has left or is in the process of leaving its first love. And involved in way too many other things. uh, And have abandoned the basic fundamentals of the faith. So that's what's happening here with this church in Sardis. Look at verse 6 especially. He who has an ear, let him what? Hear. Hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. So who's talking to this church? Do you know who's actually speaking and addressing this church? Jesus. That is correct. Jesus himself says, if you have ears, why don't you use them to hear? This is Father's Day. How many of you, when you were young, would perk up your ears quicker if it was your dad speaking versus your mom. Let's be honest. Bunch of chickens. I know it's every single one of you. Well, maybe some of you moms are fearful. I don't know. Maybe. So. Wow. Well, my dad said something. My dad was not a talker. I don't know. <laughs> Believe it or not. I was the talker. Uh, my mom's a talker. Uh, I got sat in the hall all the time at school for talking. Uh, nothing's changed. Sometimes I stood out here in the hall. Uh, my dad was a very quiet man uh, from a very large backcountry small town family. Ran off, lied about his age, and joined the Navy when he was 17. Uh, served on the USS Kitty Hawk. Uh, he met my mom. He was stationed up in Bremerton, Washington. My dad was a really quiet guy. But man, when he would say something, oh, we would listen to what he had to say. Because we knew what was coming if we didn't obey the first time. What was coming next was usually, first of all, a good smack upside the back of the head. That was one of his favorite moves. And we're not allowed to do that anymore. All this, uh, all the child discipline that was, I was looking forward to using on my own children. That my parents used on me were not pancake turners, you know, wooden spoons. We're just not, what happened to the good old days? Jeez. You know, the pancake turner leaves a little flower on your rear end. Anyway. I still remember my dad. He was a then he worked in a foundry and then for like 30 years he drove a truck, long haul and then short haul. Uh, He was so tired. He worked. He'd come home on the weekends. And I remember uh, 
One of us would make his popcorn, giant black cast iron skillet on a gas range stovetop. Usually a stick of butter. That's how he liked it. So, you know, do you ever cook popcorn like that in the old days on the skillet with the lid? Right? So then we'd pour it into a big rectangular metal cake pan. That's how he liked it. He has a popcorn pan. We weren't allowed to touch it. Uh, because if we did, uh, he'd probably hit us with it. I don't know. Uh, then he put more salt and pepper on it than you should be putting on a side of beef, let alone a small. I'm serious. So it was swimming in butter. It was black with pepper and salt. So we'd take it to him in the living room. It was always Saturdays because he worked on the road during the week. He would eat some of that. Then he'd be sitting there watching his John Wayne Western. Uh, I love John Wayne. But then he would fall asleep. Uh, then we would take the popcorn off his lap and eat it, whatever he didn't eat. But you know what? If we tried to even touch that television, he'd say, don't touch that. I'm watching it. Well, well, he would come in the living room sometimes. If we had our feet up on the coffee table, he'd say, get your feet off of there. And what would we say? Oh, yeah? You're going to make me? Is that what we would say, you think? Uh, no, we wouldn't say anything. We would just move our feet. So Jesus is speaking. Don't let that impact of that statement here in the book of Revelation escape your notice. Jesus himself is speaking directly to these churches, which means he's speaking directly to you and me. So he's diagnosing seven churches with some Distinctive problems. So, a couple blanks for you. Some of you are getting anxious. I can see it in your eyes. What about the blanks? What about the blanks? So here's this church in Sardis, which is currently today in the far western central part of the country of Turkey. Some things we should know about this city. The capital of the area, well, the area was called Lydia. The capital city was Thyatira. We see that city mentioned in the scriptures, right? Yeah, you guys got to move ahead a little bit, but or you can just stay with me and fill this in when you get there. So it's near the capital. But the thing about Sardis is it was perched about 1500 feet up in the mountains above a very central valley called the Hermas Valley. And the people of Sardis always believed that their location made them invincible. Does that remind you of any other nation? We think that we are invincible uh, because of their military prowess, because of their geographical location. They were conquered a couple times by the Persians, the Babylonians. There were five major trade routes that came right through the area. So it was an extremely wealthy city. And Jesus is going to talk to this church about some garments which is interesting because one of the ways the city made their wealth was from taking wool and turning it into different textiles. It was a uh, economic powerhouse in the textile industry. So Jesus is going to talk to them about garments and it's really going to hit home with them. So he says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars say this. So we're not going to be able to get into it. But when he says the seven spirits, he's talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit that was seen in Jesus Christ. And when he mentions these seven stars and he says that uh, someplace else that he holds these seven stars in his hand earlier in the revelation, 
The seven stars, if you trace it back, I think it's chapter one, tells us that these must be the spiritual leaders of these local churches, the elders, the pastors, the bishops, whatever you want to call them. And he says earlier in the book that these stars, these leaders are held in his hand. What he means is those earthly leaders in the church are the ones who will be held accountable for the spiritual life in a church. It's a great responsibility that elders and pastors, even deacons have. And actually, I'll just say teachers. If you're in any kind of teaching position in this church, it doesn't matter if it's with toddlers or with senior citizens. uh, It's a heavy responsibility and something that we will be held very accountable to. So spiritual life or the deadness within a church is often governed by the spiritual life of its leaders. Right. We can agree on that. Take it a little further, really, the spiritual life of a nation as well is governed very much by the spiritual life of its leaders. So next page quote that I like, it's kind of long. I needed to hear this because I was getting discouraged. I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. Exactly the kind of guy you want as your fearless leader, right? Okay. We must not conclude too unfavorably where things look ill. The stars are not all gone because the sky is overcast. I like that. It is wrong to assume that there's nothing in Christianity or that religion is a sham because there are so many faithless people in the church. So much cloaked and gilded ungodliness. So much boastfulness of life where there is so much death. Sad as the facts may be, God has not left himself without witnesses. It's very seldom that a church becomes so corrupt as to have no genuine Christians in it. As there is no visible church in Christendom in which all the members can be counted as saints, so there's scarcely a confessed church which has no good and faithful children of God in it. So in the midst of deadness of the church in Sardis, there were some happy exceptions, some scattered lights amid the darkness. That's what I want to focus our attention on today. Because he says there, verse 2, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed inside of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come to you. But here's the good news. Verse four. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white. I, I like that. I needed to hear that. No matter how dark the days may get. God always has some light. No matter how far a nation may fall, God will still have his witnesses and his testimonies in that nation. And folks, look at your neighbor for a moment. Just turn and look to see who's sitting next to you. Those are the witnesses. That is the light in a nation that appears to be at the beginning stages of decline. I really believe that I'm not being a pessimist. I'm not being Eeyore, though. I do like Eeyore. I think he's got the right. I think he's got the right uh, perspective. Right. Uh, I just think we can see that we're at the very beginning stages of the decline of a country. But we don't need to be discouraged about that, because just as in this church, he says, I still have a few. 
who haven't contaminated themselves with the uncleanness of the culture. He says here, letter D on the outlines, there was an Enoch and a Noah in the midst of the dreadful apostasy which brought on the flood, a Job among the emirs of Arabia, and Abraham among the idolatrous population of Ur. There was a lot even in Sodom. Amid the dreary snows and ice rivers of the Alps and the Alpenines, there still may be found there or found here and there a solitary flower. I think that's good news. It encouraged me. So we're looking at this dead church. Not very encouraging, right? But we do find some, a few, the Lord says, who are still alive, who are alive spiritually. I think that's really good news. I think we as a church, capital C in America, we as a church, small C in Norwalk, we really need to make up our minds and determine, do we want to be part of this many or do we want to be part of the few? So we want to look at this church and see what their struggle was, what their problem was. So Jesus gave this church no commendation at all, only criticism. Of the seven churches, this is the only one that he didn't have anything good to say, or he didn't have anything good to say about this church. The others had good things he said, and then he talked about the bad things. So we work through, he says, I know your deeds. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. So they looked like they had a life. They had a reputation for religious activity, but it lacked real spiritual life. Many modern day churches are just like that, right? And Christians. So what does Christ say to this church? We just read the four things he says. He says, first of all, what? Wow, you guys. Yeah, very good. You guys wake up. Yeah, maybe he's talking to us. Wake up. It is kind of hot in here, isn't it? Uh, is that how you usually say it? Wake up? Well, maybe. I don't know. Usually when you want someone to wake up. Any of you guys, Did you were you woken up this morning by your kids because they wanted to do something for you? I always remember for us, Christmas was the time. It's like, wow, we got to go wake them up. What are they waiting for? It's 4.30 in the morning. It's time to get up. Oh, open those presents. White people, we open our gifts in the morning. So, I'm sorry. I can't open gifts with all of you guys at midnight because I'm asleep. Oh, you do? Okay. Soul sister. Okay. All right, sorry. Was that bad? See, I'm going to get in trouble later. All I know is I've been invited to several homes on Christmas Eve at midnight to open presents. I'm like, uh, no, I'll be sawing logs. Okay, I can't even open my eyelids at midnight, let alone presence he says wake up wake up you think that's how he says it right not wake up wake up wake up he says that's not even loud i sneeze so loud at huh? hey i sneezed so loud once at the cerritos mall that it echoed down the hall and I'm not exaggerating. Every head turned. It was like dominoes. And my family just ran. <laughs> and they just looked. One of the kids said, Dad, how loud can you sneeze? I said, watch this. <laughs> and I look around and they, I hadn't even wiped the snot off my nose. They, they were gone. So that's a 
But don't you think that's how the Lord would say it about waking up? Wake up, he says. That's the first thing you need to do. You're in a spiritual stupor. You're in a spiritual slumber. They were living in a decadent, luxurious, wealthy, powerful country. And they were all about those things, but not about the truly important spiritual things of the Lord. They had gotten sucked in to the life of luxury in the world in which they lived. And he was saying, you guys are blind. You're asleep. You need to wake up, first of all. You need to wake up and see what's real. What did you say to me, Robert? Remember, what's really real? Is that what you said? Yeah. Comes up because what's really real? I was like, oh, okay. I don't know. My street slang's really bad. Okay. It says, wake up to your spiritual condition. Recall your original commitment. He's saying, make a radical reverse of your course if your current conduct is not what it should be. He says, strengthen, secondly, strengthen what remains. What is about to die? What's he talking about? He's talking about getting back to the basics of spiritual things. What's most important? Sound biblical teaching and prayer. Fellowship. Service to one another in the church and for the Lord. Get back to the basics of what's most important in life. Spiritual things. Get rid of useless religious activity. Get rid of all unbiblical thinking and teaching. He says, then remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Interesting. What have you received? What have you heard? Well, they heard basic teaching of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. uh, All the spiritual teaching of the apostles, because by this time, this letter was written late uh, toward the end of John's life. So everything that you learned from the Lord and that you were taught by the apostles, you need to get back to those basics And realize that those are the most important things. And you need to do what he says? Keep it. Duty. Duty. Searching question number one. What should I do? What is my duty? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Then he says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, as you go out into the world, teach them to observe or obey everything that I've taught you. Duty. And sometimes, folks, we're not going to have a spiritual high when we're doing our duty for the Lord. Sometimes we will, but many times we won't. But there's great and deep blessing in fulfilling my duty to the Lord by obeying his word. We may think, oh, church again. It's 130 degrees in there. And it's Father's Day. Do we have to go to church on Father's Day? actually heard someone once nobody here don't be alarmed but it's funny someone once said oh are they having church it's christmas <laughs> okay i'm serious you some of you have heard that before it's christmas day are they going to cancel church they, someone asked me that are you guys having church because sunday's on christmas day yeah and bring me a present Get back to the fundamentals, get back to the basics of sound doctrine, prayer, spiritual life. 
The Lord is pounding us on this issue of excellence. We've been through this with the book of Ruth. It just keeps coming up. There are no shortcuts. There's no quick fix. There's no magic elixir that we drink. The spirit fairy is not going to come down like at the beginning of the old Walt Disney weekly TV show. Remember that? Poof. And poof, I'm spiritual. It's basic. I'm in the word. I'm a person of prayer. I'm actively involved in the lives of other believers at my church. And I'm a witness to the lost when the Lord gives me opportunity. Those are basics. And sometimes we shrug our shoulders and think that's just not enough. Jesus says not only is it enough, but it is of the utmost importance. It says remember it. Keep it. And if you haven't been who you should be as one of my followers, he says what? Repent. Repent. There are a few words that have been eliminated from the American Christian vocabulary. I'm trying to remember all three. I was talking to Robert about this. But holiness is one. Nobody talks about holiness too much anymore. And the holiness of God. Um, sin. Sin, that's not really something that we talk about. Oh, and repentance. Those are the three words I was thinking. Repentance. Those just aren't popular topics these days. Um, they're very important, though. Then he says, fourthly, what? We'll stop here because it's already five after. But just this last fourth thing. Hmm. He says, I will come like a thief and you will not know the hour I come. This is not a reference to Jesus' second coming. Now, there is a place in the Gospels where he talks about coming like a thief in the night. That is referring to the second coming. Here it is not. Because context, we have to look at the neighborhood where we find the verse. He's not talking about the second coming of Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about a dead church, a church that is spiritually dead. And he says what to them? He says, if you don't change, if you don't wake up, I'm going to show up when you least expect it and I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to close your doors out of business no longer there. Sometimes the Lord, because he is the head of the church and the church is very strategic. You are a strategic person. You are vitally important and strategic in the plan of God for this age. You are light. You are a testimony. You are a witness. You should be talking about Jesus and his death and his resurrection as the Lord gives you those opportunities every time you come in contact with people. That, that is our mission. But Jesus says that sometimes I need to come and remove or shut down a spiritually dead church rather than let it continue to infect others with its sinful ways. So he, he's giving these people a chance. To turn things around. And he says, and we'll pick this up, Lord willing, next week. He's going to turn his attention, which is so wonderful, so lovely, that he pulls out a few to commend them. He doesn't just throw the baby out with the bath water. The Lord always notices his own people when they're doing good, even if it's in a very dark time. So remember two questions we brought up last week. 
And I have them later in the outline, like toward the bottom of the third page. We didn't get there today, but think about this, okay? Maybe jot something down as we wrap this up. Is that, uh, what does God want you to think today? What you've heard from the scriptures, what you've heard from sound teaching, disregard anything I said that was unsound. Just focus on the sound. What does God want you to think today? What do you see in this church in Sardis that maybe reminds you of yourself? And what does God then want you to do? God never wants us to leave a gathering where we've had his word open that we're not changed. Or we end up just like these people, don't we? Spiritually dead. So maybe some of us need to get back to the basics, right? Of thinking about what are the most important things the Lord has told us to do. To be in his word. To be in prayer. To be ministering within the context of a local church family uh, for him. And to be a witness. So I don't know about you, but this challenged me because I thought I would love to be one of the few if I was in this church. Because have you ever been part of a group scalding? Scolding, not scalding. Ooh, that's bad. That's like hot water. Scolding, right? When you get scolded, S-C-O-L-D-E-D. And you're thinking to yourself, this teacher is chewing all of us out. I remember in sixth grade, our whole class got punished because someone stole some pencils off the teacher's desk. We all had to miss recess in the morning and the afternoon. And finally, I'm not going to mention her name because maybe you know her. I don't know. 1979 in Peru, Indiana, you might know, Lincoln Elementary School. But she finally fessed up at the end of the day after we all suffered for four hours. But have you ever been punished as part of a group when you were innocent? But how wonderful that the Lord doesn't do that here with this church. Most of the people were in big trouble, but he says, hey, you few, I see you. Don't worry. You're not going unnoticed. I always see you. I always know. And you know what? He's going to give them a wonderful reward, wonderful blessings for their faithfulness in a very dark place. And I think that's where we need to be as Christians in America today, right? The darkness is gathering, but you know what? We're the light. We're the light. By the way we live our lives, by the way we speak, by the way we order our priorities and our values. And the next week we'll see that the Lord says, you know what? I will confess their name before my father and before his angels. I mean, part of being a follower of Jesus means we have to be willing to step up to the plate and say, hey, yeah, we know Jesus. And let me tell you about him. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid. Knowing that most people aren't going to want to hear it, but. Jesus says, if you do that for me, then don't worry. One day when you're standing before the Father and the angels, I'm going to say, hey, I know him. I know her. He's with me. He's one of the few. That's where I want to be. So next week, Lord willing, we'll pick this up. Let's stand together. Have a word of prayer. Take your notes home. Go over. Please take those notes. Fold them. Slide them in your Bible so we don't have to kill another tree next week. to print out some more slide them in your bible bring them back we'll continue on
Lord, thanks for speaking to us today. These people in this city of Sardis are, are a lot like us. In a nation that's wealthy, that's powerful, has a lot of influence, a lot of luxury. And we get sidetracked. We get sucked in. And we spend far more time with the things of the world than investing in the important things, the spiritual things. We make all the time in the world to do the things that we want to do, whatever that is. While we just put you on the back burner and we think, oh, we're okay. I'm saved. Jesus died for me. But a true disciple shows it in his priorities and his values, in the way he spends his time. So, Father, I just pray that you would rattle some of us, that maybe for some of us, it's like you're right in our ear yelling, wake up, wake up. Some of us need to be awoken. So, Father, I pray you would do that for us today, that you would do that this week. By your spirit, because of Jesus, not because of our own self-efforts. I pray over the next many weeks you would encourage us as a body to recommit, to reignite, to re-energize. To not be discouraged about what's going on in the world, but to see it as signs of the times. Actually, it's kind of exciting because it means the end is growing even closer. Help us to not be afraid as the storm clouds gather. Help us not to be ashamed of your name, no matter how ridiculous or silly people may think we sound or how much they ridicule us. Or belittle us because we believe the Bible is your word. May we take great comfort and joy because we have each other here, but also because we have your commendation. We have your commendation. We have your eye. You take notice. So help us to be people like that. Help us to be one of the few uh, as the few in Sardis. So, Father, we thank you for today. We give you all the glory, all the honor. We just love you so much. and We love Jesus who died for our sins. We love your spirit. We love your word. Thank you for bringing us all together here. No one is here today by accident. Uh, Everyone has been divinely appointed to be here. We praise you. We thank you. And we leave here rejoicing in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here today, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Remember, if you'd like to help at all with any of the getting ready for a vacation Bible school, talk to Laura.